Kevin Markwick.
to the Foo Fighters. From 1999, there's nothing left to lose. Here we go. Okay, can you hear me out there? Because I can't hear myself. I hope you can hear me. Uh, thanks, Adrian, on another epic show tonight. Uh, oh, what do we got? All sorts of things. Uh, we got music from Johnny Marr, Rilo Kylie, Caitlin Rose, Blouse, Glasser, and Jonathan Wilson, among others. Uh, film music from the likes of uh, Johann Sudequist and Piero. Oh, <laughs> I said I was going to know how to pronounce this. Umuliani. Uh, the time trunk stop in 1983. Although we really struggle this week to find films that you might actually want to see again. Chady Kent mops up 1982 with some great stuff that didn't make the top ten last year. And anything else that takes your fancy. I've got a feeling my mic's not on. Can anybody confirm that one way or another? Because I'm here on my own. And I'll start talking like a DJ in a minute if you're not careful. Let's go to the National.
that's the national graceless from the new lp trouble will find me thanks everyone <laughs> i couldn't hear myself it was in my headphones what a really slick slick start to the show uh thanks anita thanks tim for letting me know that you can hear me and all that we can edit all this out in the podcast oh i did it again Johnny Marr from his album of the same title, The Messenger. Yes, 
Um, yeah. See, the thing is, what happens is you get about a minute to uh, swap over because Adrian was before me, and then you get about a minute to swap over, and unless you're absolutely sure you've got everything right, panic ensues, and the entire weekend preparing the show goes straight out of the window. I'm not using that as an excuse. Okay, I am a wee bit, if I'm honest. So, please get in touch with the show at Kevin Markwick on Twitter. Uh, you can also get me on Facebook at The Kevin Markwick Show. Uh, you can email the studio, actually, studio at uckfieldfm.co.uk if that is your uh, groovy thing you like to do. Uh, and you can text us as well, apparently, 01825 891 105. Start your message with the word Uckfield, uh, then text. Oh, no, that was the phone number. <laughs> Oh, start your message with the word Uckfield, then text to 800-10. Okay, does that make sense? All right, I'm going to have, um, going to rub myself down now with a wet, um, with a wet something. Kevin Markwick.
That's Blows and Imperium, all the way from uh, Portland, Oregon. Now, did I tell you what the plan was? I can't remember. I was on some other some other planet um, when we opened the show. So uh, we've got. Uh, 1983 coming up from uh, the half hour, and then before that, we've got. Um, uh, no, we're not. 83 is after the news. On the half hour, we've got some film music, and we've also got uh, Cheney Kent, the wonderful Cheney Kent, coming back to give us uh, mopping up all the bits and pieces, perhaps, that we left out last week, because it's actually very difficult when you're doing the top 10 to get all the good stuff from the, the particular year in. Because actually, quite often, the not very good stuff is what makes the top ten. So I think I've done that the wrong way round, don't you? But there you go. Anyway, um, that's the plan. we got a bit more good music. Then we go into the film section of the show, and then a bit more film music. Is everybody clear now what's going on? OK, here's Rilo Kiley.
Rilo Kylie from 2007, Silver Lining. Right then, before we move into the filmy part of the show, uh, one more from the wonderful, wonderful Caitlin Rose. I edge the face of the stopwatch On the back of a raindrop Did a swap for the sand in an hourglass I heard an unhappy ending Sort of sounds like you're leaving I heard the Lovely, lovely, lovely. 
in the words of Neil Kinnock, wasn't it? Um, Caitlin Rose and uh, Pile Driver. We're going to take a break right now, and then we're going to move into the film part of the show, which has got all sorts of stuff in it. You won't believe what's in it. Now is the time. Time for ice cream. Ice cream time! It's ice cream time with Lion's Mane. Ice cream time with Lion's Mane. So I thought what I'd do is I'd have a trawl around the new uh, soundtrack releases. Uh, maybe that'll work as a as a kind of a plan over the next few weeks. Um, but they're not released very prolifically, and I had to trawl around one or two um, you know uh, sites to find out what was what was coming out. But one thing I did find the most extraordinary find actually was a set of albums that have been coming out for some years now. In fact, I think they've even got around to remixing a lot of them uh, called Easy Tempo which um, you, you might miss, actually. But what they are are collections of extraordinary um, Italian film music from the 60s and 70s. And it's effectively kind of like loungy sounding music. It's, I suppose you'd call it easy listening, easy tempo. But it's yielding an enormous amount. I was so excited when I found it because some of the tracks are just amazing. So I've not really had time to, to look into it that much for you. But this one uh, is by Piero... Umiliani, uh, and it's called Lady Magnolia. I assume it's from a film called Lady Magnolia. I had a good trawl around, and I can't find a film called that. But all the, you know, there were tons and tons of these films uh, made by the Italians in the 60s and 70s. Comedies, romantic comedies, sex comedies. I mean, stuff that never saw the light of day outside, outside of Italy. But the music, for most of really quite extraordinary. So have a listen to this, and let me know what you think. Uh, it's called Lady Magnolia from Easy Tempo, Volume 3.
There you go. That's、uh, Piero Umiliani. My Italian is rubbish. And、uh, Lady, I was going to say Marmalade for some reason. Magnolia. Lady, Marma,、uh, Lady, Lady Magnolia from Easy Tempo Volume 3. And there's lots of them, and they're actually really worth checking out.、Uh, I kind of discovered it late last night, so I haven't had a chance to dig, dig that deep.、Uh, apparently, his most famous.、Uh, Composition is、uh, Mana Mana. So we'll move swiftly on from that. One of the other soundtracks only recently released in the last week or two was from,、uh, well, it was called over here Love is All You Need, although in、uh, its native、uh, Danish it was called、uh, Den Skaldeda Frisor, which means、uh, the bald hairdresser, which I think is a, actually a much better title. It was, a,、um, I thought, a rather wonderful, sweet film directed by Suzanne Beer, who tends to err on the side of sentimentality a bit, but she just about kept it in check enough on, in, in this one with Pierce Brosnan and uh, Trini um, Dirohom, who、uh, they're like a, an, an, an older couple romance. There you go. But this is a rather pleasant piece of music、uh, from the soundtrack. After this. Present.、Uh, that's part of Johann Sudekvist's score for Love is All You Need or The Bald Hairdresser, which is a much more,、uh, a much better title, I think, don't you? Right, it's time for Cheney now, mopping up 1982, I believe. Is that where we are? I'm so confused today. Frankly, it could be anything. No, it's 1982. Here we go. Take it away, Cheney. Hello. The 1980s are now well underway. 
All sorts of musical risk-taking is going on, not only in film, but also in standalone pop music. Novelty is the thing, with synthesizers everywhere. If electronics in a film like Chariots of Fire was a surprise, it surely seemed much more natural in science fiction. In 1982, you could take your pick. There's Maurice Jarre's music for the Cold War action thriller Firefox, to the original Tron movie with music by Wendy Carlos, who had provided some music for The Shining. Both are conventionally scored, but interestingly processed. For all-out synthetic opulence, however, there's no contest. The full dystopian wonder of a privatized future rolls out in the glowing static of Vangelis's score to Blade Runner. If there's one thing linking these films beside the music, it's a sense of social dread. Someone else is taking control. For example, Alan Parker's film version of Pink Floyd's The Wall sticks Bob Geldof in the middle of a domestic Orwellian nightmare. It's also very much the case in Sophie's Choice, a wistful love story that looks back with great pain at a personal story of loss as Nazi Germany carried out its final solution. Sophie's Choice uses a number of tracks from the classical canon, from Beethoven to Johann Strauss waltzes. This music's in a funny position, though, representing the period rather than having a say of its own. Instead, the real emotional content comes in a simple romantic score from the late Marvin Hamlisch.
This determinedly American pastoral music is in a different tradition to the rest. Like much mainstream American classical music of the mid-20th century, it looks back wistfully, but with optimism. As such, the music represents Stingo, the young writer and narrator of the film, rather than the titular Sophie. We're not asked to assimilate ourselves with her heavy memories, but rather with a young man's compassion. Now, in case you thought that classical music was in danger of being boxed up and forgotten about in this brave new modern decade, how about this to start a movie? here, just ardent, rich music of great beauty moving steadily forward. Indeed, the very first shot of this film, Ingmar Bergman's Fanny and Alexander, is of a Brahmin-like body of water flowing with all the inexorability of life, just right for a rite of passage epic. The music is from a Schumann piano quintet, and though it may be as intimate as John Williams's E.T. score, which we heard last week, is grand, it carries equal romance and vision. It's music that's alive and thriving, just like the cinema. Goodbye.
wonderful. Thank you, Cheney. That was fantastic. And that wonderful Schumann, Schumann music uh, used in a film which, if you've never seen, it remains one of the greatest things uh, in cinema. Uh, Ingmar Bergman's epic Fanny and Alexander, his most, well, autobiographical film by about a million, million miles. Thank you for that, Cheney. Absolutely outstanding, as usual. He'll be back next week with 1983 which is all a bit confusing, isn't it? Because I'm going to do 1983 after the news. And, uh, yeah, well, I think you, you understand the draw by now, don't you? OK, so we're going to have a break. And when we come back, I've got some uh, TV music. I'm sort of yeah, slightly... Because um, TV's great, isn't it, at the moment? So uh, I'm going to play you the music from Utopia after this. 105 now, I know I keep banging on about it, but it would be good to hear from you. Uh, at Kevin Markwick on Twitter. Uh, you can also go to the Facebook page, The Kevin Markwick Show, where I've just posted a picture of me. Yes, steady ladies, calm yourself. Um, of me in the studio for... I don't know why. Don't ask me why. Um, vanity, always vanity. Um, so please do that. Get in touch at Kevin Markwick on Twitter, The Kevin Markwick Show on Facebook. You can email me here at the studio, studio at uckfieldfm.co.uk. Uh, or you can actually go online and you can interact directly. Uh, if you look at the webcam, you can see, um, go to the website, click on the webcams, and you can see me waving my arms around and banging my head on the desk. And you can taunt me in text if that is what you want to do. Now, um, one of the... We've had a lot of great television in the last couple of years, uh, particularly from America, HBO. But actually, uh, one of the British series I thought absolutely outstanding was uh, on Channel 4, Utopia. The most extraordinary and scary and frightening thing I've seen in a long time. Almost impossible to describe. Uh, check it out. It's now just come out on Blu-ray. Um, and I'm pleased to say, although I'm a little, little nervous, they've just announced a second series. I'm not sure. If you see the first series, you'll, you'll, or did see the first series, you'll know why I'm a little confused as how they can do a second series. But there you go. Um, I suppose it was successful, so they felt they had to do it. And the music, uh, very, very uh, evocative and wonderful stuff from a composer called uh, Cristobal Tapia de Villa. Uh, this is the music, the uh, theme music from Utopia.
wonderful, isn't it? Cristobal Tapia de Villa. I'm mangling most of the languages across Europe this evening, you'll notice. Um, uh, the soundtrack from Utopia, which if you've not seen, I can highly recommend. A beautiful, beautiful cinematography uh, and uh, looked like a movie more than it did telly. OK, we're going to go up to the news with... Uh, how long have we got? Oh, not very long. I'll give you a burst of this which is the music from uh, Captain Phillips. I know I said I'd play the whole thing <laughs> last week, and I'm still not going to be able to play the whole thing because I'm useless. Um, and it opened huge this weekend in the UK, so congratulations to everybody involved, Tom Hanks and, uh, you know, Columbia Pictures and all those chaps. This is uh, part of the score from Captain Phillips. I'll see you on the other side of the news with 1982. Can only get better, can't it? Forwards, backwards, sideways. But when it comes to time, we are prisoners. Hey, Doc, we better back up. We don't have enough road to get up to 88. Roads? Well, we're going, we don't need roads. You maniac! You blow it up! God damn you! God damn you all to hell! Must be some kind of hot tub time machine. So here we are then. The time spandex pants have arrived in 1983. What do you remember? Were you even born? I don't know, do I? Uh, Thatch gets re-elected. And unemployment hits a record 3.2 million. You may think they're connected. I couldn't possibly comment. In the swimming pool. I see your face in the shaving 
Uh, seat belts for front seat drivers became mandatory in the UK. Uh, it was the first flight of the Space Shuttle Challenger and TVM broadcast, TVAM broadcast for the first time. Oh, and Blockbusters appears on TV for the first time. Yeah, I know you're all thinking it. I'm not going to say it. 83 also sees the appearance of the first compact disc, where we all had to borrow our records again. Well, some idiots did, like me. England failed to qualify for the European Championship, and Brighton lose their FA Cup final replay to, uh, I don't know, some team, I forget who. Did he say Palace lost tonight? Oh, what a shame. In the music charts, we uh, start the year with a fine example of British good taste, with René and Renato topping the charts. Uh, there were hits for Men at Work, Duran Duran, The Police, Culture Club, who actually had the biggest selling single of the year, Karma Chameleon. And of course, Thriller was the biggest selling album. It was actually the year I walked into the Maiden's Head Hotel in Upfield and met my destiny. And this great single from Tom Robinson, War Baby, spent three weeks at the top of the indie chart. Although actually looking at it, so did Rene and Renato. That confused me immensely. I'm going to let this play out, actually. I don't think I could stand another ten years of this fighting Always stabbing and wounding Only getting my own back Later that same evening When we were out in the car talking I suddenly wondered Who the hell it was we were trying to fool Cos you were the first one I ever wanted So there we are, War Baby, from 1983. In the cinema, though, the top films weren't getting any better. We're well and truly into the 80s now, in all its uh, 80s-ness. And so it starts. The Brookheimer Simpson 80s movie hits its stride. Total nonsense. A film whose triumph over style... Sorry, triumph of style over content is totally complete. What makes it more unbearable is that the style isn't even that interesting. Overblown and self-important with a perfunctory, contrived script that depressingly is a sign of what's on the way for a lot of mainstream cinema in the next few years. Now, if that doesn't make you want to tune in, what will? 
That's my right look at it. That's why you're tuning in. Disco Cinema, whose primary function is to peddle MTV images that sell dumb pop records. It's also mar- it also marked the brief ascendancy of the terrible English director Adrian Lyne, a sort of slightly more pretentious Michael Bay. Flashdance was the number 10 movie and grossed £2.8 million. Needless to say, this record sold in its millions. The inevitable and inevitably disappointing Airplane 2 was at number 9. That grossed £3 million. Thank goodness for number 8. Whenever life gets you down, Mrs Brown, and things seem hard or tough, and people are stupid, obnoxious or daft, and you feel that you've had quite enough. Just remember that you're standing on a planet that's evolving and revolving at 900 miles an hour. That's orbiting at 90 miles a second, so it's reckoned a sun that is the source of all our power. The sun and you and me and all the stars that we can see are moving at a million miles a day in an outer spiral arm at 40,000 miles an hour of the galaxy we call the Milky Way Our galaxy itself contains a hundred billion stars it's a hundred thousand light years side to side It bulges in the middle, 16,000 light years thick, but out by us it's just 3,000 light years wide. We're 30,000 light years from galactic central point. We go round every 200 million years. And our galaxy is only one of millions of billions in this amazing and expanding universe. on expanding and expanding in all of the directions it can whiz as fast as it can go at the speed of light you know 12 million miles a minute and that's the fastest speed there is so remember when you're feeling very small and insecure how amazingly unlikely is your birth and pray that there's intelligent life somewhere up in space cause there's bugger all down here on earth She feels so sort of insignificant, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Can we have your liver, then? Ah, the universe song. Monty Python's The Meaning of Life grossed £3.1 million, and whilst not quite up to the standard of Holy Grail or Life of Brian, it's still way ahead of most of the competition. In fact, British cinema remained on the critical list around this time, and apart from Local Hero and Eureka, which no-one went to see, most of the films we produced were of little interest. OK, so Merry Christmas, Mr Lawrence, was OK. 
and educating Rita was nice, but still. Uh, meaning of life felt more reflective, uh, I suppose, as the team moved into middle age. It would be their last film together, sadly. Um, and to this day, it's difficult to take British musicals seriously after they were comprehensively lampooned in the Every Sperm is Sacred sequence. OK, well, that was a nice moment. Back to the tosh now. The not at all highly anticipated directorial debut of Sylvester Stallone. A quite terrible follow-up to Saturday Night Fever called, imaginatively, Staying Alive. It managed to gross £3.2 million and was the continuing adventure of Tony Monero as he tries to make it as a dancer on Broadway. Bee Gees wrote some new songs for it, though. And they weren't very good either. So, at number six, if Flashdance and its ilk represent the worst of the Hollywood formula machine, then Tootsie represents its best. Um, Tootsie grossed £4.9 million, uh, a perfectly constructed tale of an actor who learns to be a better man when he pretends to be a woman. The script really is a thing of beauty. Uh, it purrs along like a Rolls Royce, delivered perfectly by Dustin Hoffman as Michael Dorsey, an Oscar-winning term by Jessica Lange as the object of his affections, and five-star support from Bill Murray, Terry Garr, Dabney Coleman and Charles Durning. Uh, it's all orchestrated by the late, great Sidney Pollack's pitch-perfect directing. Uh, the music, sadly, was rather bland, actually, in all honesty. Um... Very 80s Blando score by Dave Grusin. Nothing to write home about. So while that burbles away in the background, here is Dustin Hoffman speaking really quite movingly about what the part of Dorothy Michaels meant to him. Murray Shiskow, who has been my dear friend for over 30 years, uh, kicked off Tootsie with the thought of how would you be different if you had been born a woman? It was a, in a conversation we had one time. Not what does it feel like to be a woman, because all sexes have asked themselves the question, what does it feel like to be, what would it feel like to be the opposite sex? But the, his question was different. If you, if you were born a woman, how would you be different? So that kicked off, which is a, it would take too long to answer how we then got involved in Tootsie for for about two years before we even got a director, just working on different drafts of the script. But I did go to Columbia and I asked them if they would spend the money to do makeup tests so that I could look like a woman. And if I couldn't look like a woman, they would agree not to make the movie. And they said, what do you mean? And I just somehow intuitively felt that unless I could walk down the streets of New York and not have dressed as a woman and not have people turn and say who's that guy in drag or turn for any reason that you know who's that freak unless I could do that I didn't want to make the film I didn't want the audience to suspend their 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 their, their believability when we got to that point and looked at it on screen I was shocked that I wasn't more attractive and uh, I said now you have me looking like a woman now make me a beautiful woman because I thought 
I should be beautiful. I, if I was going to be a woman, I would want to be as beautiful as possible. And they said to me, that's as good as it gets. Uh, that's as, as beautiful as we can get you, <laughs> Charlie. And it was at that moment that I had a, an epiphany and I went home and started crying, uh, talking to my wife. And I said, I have to make this picture. And she said, why? And I said, because I think I'm an interesting woman when I look at myself on screen. And I know that if I met myself at a party, I would never talk to her, that character because she doesn't fulfill physically the demands that we're brought up to think we have, that women have to have in order for us to ask them out. She says, what are you saying? And I said, there's a, too many interesting women I have I have, I, I have not had the experience to know in this life because I have been brainwashed and that was never a comedy for me. Dustin Hoffman talking rather movingly about uh, playing the part of Dorothy Michaels and uh, Michael Dorsey in Tootsie. Right, when we come back, we'll continue with the countdown of all these great movies from 1983. So, Kevin Markwick here, going through the uh, top ten films of 1983. I'm saying this in a kind of voicey voice. Who knows what tomorrow brings? So at number five then in our trawl through the limpest top ten movies ever. You an officer and a gentleman. It grossed uh, 5.4 million pounds. In truth, this Taylor Hackford-directed film about a man's struggle to become a Navy Marine sits sort of, well, halfway, really, between Flashdance and Tootsie in the formula machine. It's not great, but Richard Gere is watchable and Deborah Winger, actually, is one of the great actors um, of the time, if not our time, actually. Hugely underrated. Why, why didn't she keep going? Why, 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 why? It's efficient stuff, I suppose, and this cheese fest of a song sold it as much as anything else. So, at number four, Superman 3, with Christopher Reeve and Richard Pryor, and it grows £6.7 million. And all I can think is, why, why, why? Seemed no reason for that film to exist at all other than the 6.7 million pound. Oh, I see. Oh, I get it. Okay. Which brings us to the top three. And at number three and two, it was the Battle of the Bonds. Never, never say never again. Never, never say never again. This one, Never Say Never Again, was The Rogue. Uh, the story about um, 
how it came about is massively complicated. But it all goes back to 1961 when Ian Fleming worked with Kevin McClory on a treatment for a possible Bond film that never happened. Cubby Broccoli subsequently started the hugely successful Bond series with Dr No, um, and as Fleming continued to write the novels, and then he kind of thought, well, rather than waste the story I've come up with, I'll turn it into a book, Thunderball. Honestly, go and look at Wikipedia, or otherwise I'll bore you to death if I get to the end of this. Anyway, suffice to say, McClory successfully battled for ownership of the story and eventually remade Thunderball as Never Say Never Again. With Sean Connery returning after 12 years to the role he said he would never play again. Get it? Never Say Never Again. That's brilliant. Released by Warner Brothers, it was a huge hit worldwide and actually it wasn't half bad. I think where it wins over Octopussy, the official Bond that year, is that Connery's playing Bond as an older man, aware possibly that his best days are behind him. And it's pretty much gadget free, which is a blessing. Never Say Never Again grossed a total of £7.4 million at the UK box office. Uh, the official Bond, Octopussy at number two, took just a million more, 8.3 million, you know, because a million isn't much these days. Dodger was well past it by now, and he still had one more to go. Uh, after a definite improvement um, with For Your Eyes Only, it was back to the old lecherous silliness, really. I can almost hear Cheney bursting a blood vessel. The one thing it did have in its favour was a score by John Barry. chase bomb sequence from John Barry's score for Octopussy. As his Cheney on Twitter points out, Klaus Maria Brandauer was one of the great Bond baddies. That's very true. Some proper acting rather than moustache twirling. Which brings us to the number one film of the UK in 1983. 
Return of the Jedi grossed a total of £12.2 million and was the only thing that was ever going to trounce James Bond. Uh, you know all about it, yeah? Probably the weakest of the original trilogy, but Citizen Kane compared to the second trilogy. I suppose the warning signs were there to see. Uh, George Lucas foreshadowing the excruciating Jar Jar Binks with the simply annoying Ewoks. But we didn't care. No. It had um, even more spectacular attack on the Death Star and a nicely rounded out hand layer and Luke story without feeling too contrived. <laughs> And our old friend John Williams is back. You know, I was always trying to avoid playing John Williams because it was the obvious thing to do. Then I decided to do the 1980s. That was really stupid, wasn't it? But actually, you know, it's good stuff. So who can complain, really? The final credits roll and the last decent Star Wars film. The number one film in the UK in 1983. And it's all over to you now, Mr Abrams. This is the celebration sequence and end credits. You can see the dancing Ewoks, can't you? I'll let it run for a bit, because I'm running horribly behind time.
I know I shouldn't talk over it, but I'm gonna. I just wanted a quick rundown of some of the other films released in 1983. Tim keeps texting me about Trading Places. Yes, I know, it was good, just not that many people went to see it. Actually, I remember we did all right with it. I'm going to look it up in the big book of glory. Okay, so what else happened in 90... Oh, use the right mouse, Kip. What else happened in 1983? Best picture went to Terms of Endearment. That was good. Uh, Robert Duvall won Best Actor for Tender Mercies. Jack Nicholson won uh, Sporting Actor. Linda Hunt for The Year of Living Dangerously. That was great. And Best Foreign Language Film at the Oscars was Fanny and Alexander. So let's have a run, run down the alphabetical list, see what Cheney may do next week. Nothing in the A's grabs me at all. Oh, and the ship sails on. That was quite interesting. Fellini's picture. BMX Bandits, come on. Bad Boys with Sean Penn. Mm. Blue Thunder, John Badham. Uh, that odd, dodgy remake of Breathless uh, that Jim McBride made with Richard Gere. Champions with John Hurt. Oh, Dead Zone. That was quite good. David Cronenberg. The Dresser. Stop that trick. Rita, which I mentioned before. Eureka, Nick Rogue's film. I love that. Everyone hates that film. I love that film. Gorky Park. It wasn't bad, I seem to remember, was it? Was it good or bad? Let me know. I can't remember. I think it was quite good. I enjoyed the book. High Road to China, Tom Selleck. Oh, and The Hunger, Tony Scott's uh, debut. Which was, again, style over content, but actually quite enjoyable, I thought. Jaws 3D. Police. Local Hero. One of the greatest films ever made. Man with Two Brains, Dr. Hoff 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 And National Lampoon's Vacation, which, come on, makes you smile. The list goes on. Plowman's Lunch, was that the first Channel 4 film? I think it was. Risky Business. Star 80, but I think it was Bob Fosse's last film. Uh, with Mariel Hemingway. It's kind of about it. I really wasn't up for Oh, Table for Five. Oh, dear. The Mel Brooks to be or not to be, not so good. Videodrome. I like that one. That was Cronenberg, wasn't it, with James Woods. War Games, Bad Amiguette. Was this all the same year? He was busy. And Yellow Beard, not so good. Okay, I've got to do one of these now. So that was 1983 and the film part of the show. Hope you enjoyed it. Not too much waffling. Just some blinking good music now down to the, uh, for the last half an hour. This is Beth Orton. Central Reservation. Thank you. 
Kevin Markwick, 105, Uckfield FM.
thought it was my fault And in a way I guess it was I'm just now finding out What it was all about We moved to the west coast Away from everyone She never told me that you called Back when I was still Uh, ben Folds from Songs for Silverman, which uh, 
if you don't have in your record collection, uh, you better email me in with your excuses because you need to go and buy it. Um, before that was Beth Orton, Central Reservation from the album in 1999 of the same title that gave her actually her second Mercury Prize nomination and also won her the uh, Best Female Artist at the Brits. So that was good. Now, um, Jonathan Wilson's got a new album out on Bella Union called Fanfare and it's rather wonderful. This is a uh, track called Her Hair Is Growing. <laughs> Will it wrap around again? Oh, 
Her hair is growing long. From uh, Jonathan Wilson. It's an album I can highly recommend. Fanfare on uh, Bella Union came out uh, this month. And I've had it on repeat quite a lot. So uh, I'm going to play you Shape by Glasser. Then we'll have a break and then there'll be one more track and then it'll be over. You can all go and have a nice lie down.
wonderful glasser shape presumably named after the yogurt well that's pretty much it actually I'll do a break then we'll have Leonard Cohen That's it. The fat lady is doing her limbering up vocal exercises. Thank you very much for listening. It's been great. Thank you for all your support after the lumpy start. And thank you, podcasters. Don't forget to pass the message on. The number of downloads is going up and up and up every week, which is fantastic that uh, you're all uh, listening. And uh, I'll see you all next week, hopefully. (laughs) If I don't get the sack or something. Um, I'll leave you with a Leonard Cohen classic, Take This Waltz. And uh, you take care. Love you all. Bye. Now in Vienna, there's ten pretty women. There's a shoulder where death comes to cry. There's a lobby with 900 windows. There's a tree where the doves go to die. There's a piece that was torn from the morning And it hangs in the gallery of frost Aye, 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 aye Take this waltz, take this waltz Take this waltz with the clamp on its jaws Footsteps and sand I, 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 I Take this waltz Take this waltz Take its broken waist in your hand This waltz, this waltz, this waltz, this waltz with its very own breath of brandy and death Dragging its tail in the sea There's a concert hall in Vienna Where your mouth had a thousand reviews There's a bar where the boys have stopped talking They've been sentenced to death by the blues Ah, but who is it climbs to your picture With a garland of freshly cut tears Aye, 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 aye Take this waltz, take this waltz Take this waltz, it's been dying for years There's an attic where children are playing
I've got to lie down with you soon In a dream of Hungarian lanterns In the midst of some sweet afternoon And I'll see what you've chained to your sorrow All your sheep and your lilies of snow Take this waltz, take this waltz With its all, never forget you, you know This waltz, this waltz, this waltz, this waltz With its very own breath of brandy and death Dragging its tail in the sea 